Investing involves risk. The value of an investment and the income from it may fall as well as rise and investors might not get back the full amount invested. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The mention of any particular security or strategy should not be considered as a recommendation. For further information on the Brunner Trust, please go to www.brunner.co.uk. And welcome to the eighth and latest installment of Connected Investor, the podcast from the Brunner Investment Trust. I'm Joe Lynham, BBC presenter and former business correspondent. And in this podcast, we're going to tackle a myriad of issues which may affect you, the markets, and of course, the Brunner Fund. As ever, I'm joined by Matthew Tillich, the lead portfolio manager of the Brunner Investment Trust. Hello, Matthew. Keeping well, I hope. Avoided the virus, I hope. Uh, hi, Joe. Yep. Yep. Um, I've avoided the virus uh, so far, touch wood. I think there's a, a mild middle class panic going on out yeah. there with uh, people being tested right, left and centre. Certainly it is in uh, leafy West London, where I am. Anyway, today we're going to take a very brief look back at the year on the markets and a preview of what to expect in 2022. But first, and perhaps we could examine how the financial markets are working or not working these days. Matthew, I know you have some jaw-dropping statistics about the impact of QE and central banks on the marketplace. Yeah, that's right, Joe. There's there's a lot of these statistics uh, going around at the moment, um, so I'm spoiled for choice. Uh, but I've I picked out two or three that um, I think are uh, pretty startling, uh, and they're all related to the equity market. Uh, so the first one, uh, it relates to size. Uh, as we look at Apple, which is um, obviously the biggest company in the world, uh, as everyone knows, um, approaching three trillion market cap now. Yeah. Uh, now that that number uh, is actually now larger than the entire FTSE 100, uh, <laughs> the, the the main index in in, in the UK, uh, which is um, in itself uh, quite quite extraordinary. And I had I had a little look look this morning actually just to just to sort of sense check it. Uh, if you add up all the profits uh, of the FTSE 100, so all, all the 100 companies, uh, the number comes to about three and a half or so times more than more than Apple. Wow! So it kind of gives you a sense of the of you know the 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 comparison there. It sort of shows you just sort of how large um, uh, you know some of these some of these companies um, have become. I was digging for stats as well, uh, Matthew, and I found that the U.S. stock market is larger than the combined GDP of. America, China, Japan, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and the UK, according to the World Bank. That is scary. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't surprise me. Um, doesn't surprise me. I could have used I could have used that statistic as well. Any other any other frightening stats and based, and why they are relevant? Yeah, well, the second one I think and I've chosen because I think this kind of partly explains you know what we're seeing is is to do with the flows. And so in the last twelve months, uh, we've seen. Uh, I think the number I saw, uh, it was, I think it was 1.1 trillion um, of flows into uh, ec- uh, equity funds. And that is more than the last 19 years um, combined. Wow. All into funds, not, not into individual stocks. Yeah, so into into you know, funds or ETFs or uh, sort of exchange traded funds, um, index funds, you know, and actively managed funds. Yeah, you know, all, all funds that basically invest in in the in the equity market. So there's a lot of money. Basically, that's that's what that stat tells you. There's a lot of money, and of course, when you when you see that kind of thing happen, it tends to be go into 
you know, you know, it benefits the big companies because they're the most liquid companies. Uh, so they they receive um, you know, a lot of buying of, the, of their shares. So I think that probably explains um, you know some of why these we're seeing these big companies get get so much bigger. What what's behind all this? Well, I I think it comes down to uh, to, to be honest, um, you know, what, sort of what you mentioned in your opening comments, really, uh, the 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 policy environment, uh, the response to the pandemic. Um, it, it, but both in terms of the the quantitative easing and the, the what the Federal Reserve and other central banks have been doing um, in terms of uh, essentially just printing money um, and um, buying up government bonds, but also the the deficits. Uh, you know, it's the it's the combination of those two really. You know, when the government runs very significant deficits as it has been over the last year uh, and including much of it to basically fund um, you know in the US it was you know, sending basically checks in the post to helicopter money helicopter money yeah and over here it was obviously the you know the furlough scheme which sort of worked in more or less the same way but it, but you know the mechanics were slightly different um, you know you, you you do that and you you have to issue a lot of bonds in order to do that uh, the only way to, to, to stop you know the bond prices are falling when there's a big supply of bonds, um, uh, which would make interest rates go up. Is for the central bank to basically print a lot of money to you know to to buy all those bonds, um, and so that's that's you know that's why we've seen these, these you know these trillions and trillions of of dollars of money creation, and it, and it has to go somewhere. You know, it go, and it goes into it you know goes into financial assets. It's also you know goes into the real economy, and it's one of the reasons why we're seeing. Uh, higher rates of inflation for goods and services, um, but you know also also stocks and fine art, fine wine, you know, all, property. all of these property. Yes, you know all of these things are are um, are inflating in price. I had a look, and um, the QE uh, quantitative easing from the Bank of England here in the UK is one point two trillion dollars and nine hundred billion pounds. The ECB, the eurozone, is one point eight five billion trillion euros that's two trillion dollars and the fed has nine trillion dollars out there in some sort of asset purchases so where's this all going to play out uh well i I mean it's i mean it's been you know this has been the 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 kind of policy approach really since the financial crisis um you know it's not what started out as a as really quite an experimental um, policy tool that you know nobody quite knew how it was going to work. There were there were lots of if you remember back at the time there were there were lots of sort of people saying it was going to be a disaster and would have hyperinflation. Yeah, uh, and of course that didn't happen. Uh, and and, you know, and actually you know we we had a relatively low inflation environment. And I think over time, as you often see this happen with with. Uh, economic policy and, and sort of monetary policy in particular is it's it's not so much driven by by as much driven by the textbooks and the theory as people think. A lot of it's driven by just the real world. There's a kind of interplay between the real world and 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 the policy and th- things that were once seen as you know extreme um, crisis crisis time policies become really quite normal because uh, if you step back from it and look look at what's going on i mean you know you, in the us you've got the housing markets at all time highs the stock markets at all time highs uh, you know in, the employment picture looks you know that, that there's some distortions in the in the employment market but you know we haven't had this drop off in it uh, or this big rise in unemployment when when the furlough schemes have ended and if anything there's there's 
you know, there's real sort of shortages actually of, of labour. So the economy, on many measures, looks like it's overheating. Uh, yet central banks are continuing to um, to uh, you know to follow these policies, which just sort of shows you how how ingrained it's become. I mean, if you're asking what what could cause it to shift in that regime, yeah. Well, really, it would be when there's you know if there's some kind of um, consequence that becomes too difficult to bear, um, and the you know the one that is most likely is is uh, a sustained level of uh, high level of inflation. Um, so, if the inflation that we see at the moment becomes embedded into the system, um, th- then that will uh, that will in time, you know, that's not really sustainable because you know, democracies won't put up with sort of five to 10% inflation rates. Because their voters won't allow that erosion in their spending power. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, that's certainly what the, you know, I mean, history sort of suggests that's what's what's happening. Although it can go on for longer than you think. Um, Usually it takes a while. Um, You know, there's this, you know, in economics parlance, thing called money illusion, which is it takes a while. That basically means it takes a while for people to kind of actually cotton on to, you know, the fact that, you know their wages are not going as far as they used to, particularly in a in a rising inflationary environment when when people have been used to things being stable. It you know it, it takes a while, but once once they do realise it's then the expectations are then what drives it, um, and then you know wage bargaining leads to wages to go up, and then that in turn leads prices to go up, and it becomes a becomes more of a, a spiral. Uh, and then so- suddenly we're back in 1976, and the Sex Pistols are about to hit, hit them. <laughs> In the record stands. Um, so it is a bit worrying that if inflation finds high, you're basically saying that interest rates would probably have to go up if it looks as if inflation or price rises is no longer, quote, transitory. Yes. Well, ultimately, yeah, that's that's the way you deal with it. And that's famously what um, Paul Volcker did uh, when he took over as, as chairman of the Federal Reserve um, in uh, whatever it was, the late 70s. A or couple of decades 80s. ago. Yeah. Um, and, and, and did a complete about turn uh, and you know, pushed interest rates right up. And, and it was successful in bringing inflation down, but it created a, you know, a gut wrenching recession uh, in the process. Uh, and you know you don't want to let it get that far. You want to stop it from happening before then. So you know there's a debate out there as to sort of how how the central banks will respond to this. I think at the moment they're, they're sort of indicating that that they will act to to tame it. But I, I suspect what they're really hoping is that it does prove to be transitory, or at least a, a lot of it proves to be transitory, and then they won't need that that decision won't be forced on them uh, if if it. Proves to, you know, if two or three years down the line, we're still seeing five, six percent rates of inflation. I, you know, I think they're, you know, they're, they're going to be in a in a very diff, different position. So, so what happens? Assuming that the Fed uh, and other central banks um, decide that this inflation thing is is not just a passing fad, and they're going to hike rates. I read a note this morning that they're expecting three rate hikes uh, next year, um, possibly more. Um, what does that mean in the real economy? And what does it mean for the funds that we're interested in, especially the Brunner? Yeah, so I, I mean, generally when, when you know, rates go up, I mean, essentially what, what, what the central bank's doing is, is trying to kind of cool things down. Um, so it, ten, it, you know, it tends to be, they do it in response to, you know, an economy that looks like it's overheating. Um, uh, you know, if it's done, if it's, if it's managed well, then it can, it can happen over a period of time without, causing you know a huge sort of reset in economic activity but if it's a very sharp shock if it's sort of if rates are sort of forced up 
you know several hundred basis points um then that that you know that can you know, potentially be you know really quite damaging for the economy because it you know it affects so many things i mean it affects the housing market it affects people's um consumers costs of their mortgages uh, it affects um companies borrowing costs um uh, makes it you know less likely that companies will will you know borrow money to invest and therefore you know hits investment um so it's a difficult balancing act um you know kind of need, needs to be needs to be handled handled well um in terms of what it what it means for uh for for Brunner and 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 our portfolio i i mean look we're you know we're very focused in the portfolio on you know, on, on long the longer term drivers, uh, you know, we 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 look to own companies that you know we we think of benefiting from structural trends that are going to outlast, you know, the kind of ups and downs of uh, Bitcoin the economic cycle, and <laughs> definitely not Bitcoin, <laughs> um, uh, and also companies that are that you know, are very well financed. Um, so you see, if you look, you know, our, our companies, you know, on average have much lower debt on their balance sheet than the average company so that would you know makes them less exposed to you know rising interest rates um and and, and those sorts of shocks uh and they also tend to be um you know have have kind of strong pricing power uh which is important i think it's going to be going to be even more important over the next year or two um as, as companies really have to deal with some of these inflationary pressures um because it's not it, the, the full effect of it hasn't been felt yet because there's a you know a lot of there's been a lot of sort of hedging of um commodity costs and uh and, and things like that 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 uh you know freight rates that it usually takes a year or so mm-hmm. for to, that to, to really feed in um and that's when you'll start to you know differentiate you know you'll see the you know the the wheat from the chaff, uh, who, who's really got pricing power, who can who can really you know really sort of protect their their margins. Okay, stay with us, uh, Matthew, and we'll take a look briefly uh, at the uh, crazy whipsaw year that was twenty twenty one. Okay, we've mentioned some of the stuff that went on in twenty twenty one, Matthew. Um, yet another. COVID-19 stained year. Uh, how would you surmise briefly how the year went? Well, look, I, th- I think, you know, when I look back uh, on this this year, I think what, what, I'll, what I'll remember of it uh, is the, 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 the intra-market volatility. So the, the extreme sort of swings that we, that we saw, uh, you know, from initially in the, in the period after the the vaccine announcements um, came in. I, that was, you know, technically still in 2020, but it was it was right at the end of 2020. Uh, you know, this enormous rally in in uh, you know a whole, whole bunch of uh, companies and sectors that that had you know basically just sort of been on their knees, and people were kind of wondering whether they would ever be able to trade again. And you know, so, some of the biggest sort of intraday moves um, I've, I've ever seen. Um, but but then of course you know we, we, you know in the, in the last you know few few months you know we we've seen a lot of that fade away um, as you know as, as you as you sort of rightly say you know COVID has has has, has proved you know, it's, it's taken longer than I think I think many people uh, thought to to really go away um, and of course we're seeing that again now with with um, you know with, with with Omicron and the the impact that that's having um, and then the, and the response that um, some governments uh, uh, are taking to it 
Um, so that, that's that's how I, I remember it. Uh, and I, 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 it's also kind of linked, I suppose, to some of the opening comments, you know, around some of those ex, sort of extremes that we've seen in, just within the market itself, you know, the, you know, the impacts that all of all of the, you know, the liquidity has actually had. It's, it's tended to accentuate those moves, um, you know, one, you know, one way or the other. The S&P had an incredible year. Um, the FTSE kind of moved sideways. But people aren't investing in bonds because there's no returns in bonds. So they kind of have to invest in other stuff that you refer to, including property and um, the, the equity markets. Yeah, there is no alternative uh, as, wow. as, as, it's, as it's been. The, that, that's what people, how people describe yeah. it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that equities have you know, a lot of, you know, more volatility in the short term. Um, but when you buy a, an equity, particularly if you you know buy a good quality company that you know has an established, highly profitable business model um, and is and is benefiting from favourable structural and secular trends, you know, if, you, if you buy a company like that on a on a sensible valuation, you know that's going to you know that's that's much more likely to protect you from the effects of inflation. Um, it's much more likely to deliver a you know an, a, 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 an attractive. Um, an acceptable you know, long-term total return. Uh, it, it just may be, may be more volatile in the short term. And I think that's as true today as it's, as it's ever been. Okay, on that note, let's take a pause. In a moment, we'll have a look at what we think might or could happen in 2022. All right, Matthew, in this final bit, I want to have a look at 2022, we start the new year very much preoccupied with inflation. You've made reference to it before and whether it could lead to rate hikes, especially in the US. Um, what else should we be watching for in 2022? Yeah, so I, th- I think, you know, when kind of look, look into the outlook and, and, and certainly when I think about, you know, what the, the companies that we talk to, you know, what, what they're saying and, and what they're seeing is that the general picture is that demand is is yeah actually yeah it's fine like it's pretty strong like, pretty much across the board like, yeah, apart from the areas that are still you know impacted because of restrictions yeah hospitality travel leisure yeah pretty much everything else is 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 it, from a demand perspective is is fine and it, the 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 issue is that you know, and, and I should say that I expect that to continue actually, because because of the amount of money that's been created and the fact that you know consumers, for the most part in the West anyway, are in are in you know, pretty good shape because you, know, you look you can look at consumer bank balances and you know the savings ratio and it, it all was all pointing to quite a lot of potential spending power and, and, and pent up demand. Uh, the question is whether the economy could actually service that demand mm. uh, because. You know, yeah, well, one big problem is the fact that we've we've got these supply chain issues. Uh, the fact that you know COVID hasn't gone away, and so you know, it, and different countries are taking different approaches to it. So you know, some parts of the supply chain have got your know, countries are still locking down or have much tighter restrictions. Yeah, particularly in Asia, uh, other areas like the US are taking a much more relaxed approach. They're already you know kind of pretty much back to normal. Uh, so it's become quite difficult for supply chains to. To deal with that, and that's created a lot of bottlenecks, um, shortages. Um, you've got some areas like semiconductors where it's you know just really aren't 
you, know, you just sort of can't get hold of the semiconductors at yeah. all. So it's so it's sort of caused certain industries to have to just you know almost stop producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't see that going away overnight. And I think it's gonna it's it's gonna continue to be an issue. I mean, into into twenty twenty two, it's gonna continue to you know put pressure on you know on, it's gonna it's one of the drivers of of inflation. Um, yeah. I, I do think ultimately though it is that that is a uh, that is probably transitory. I mean, that's why I probably would agree with the central bankers in that you know those that sort of thing should largely work itself out over time. Um, it's just a case of you know that the, you know when the pandemic has has finally kind of faded away you know most of those supply chains should you know find a new equilibrium it won't necessarily be exactly as it was prior to covid but it will it will adjust um and uh, and, and certainly certainly be be more stable but i suspect that's probably going to be you know maybe towards the end of next year or even into even into 2023 uh so because of that i do think it's going to be you know there are going to be some challenges next year um as we discussed earlier i think you know a lot of companies are going to have cost headwinds that they didn't have this year mm-hmm. uh, so you know that they have to they have to put prices up and you know not all companies will be able, going to be able to do that um so i think it's definitely a time to to you know stay sort of focused on quality um you know make sure you've got strong you know well-financed businesses uh and you know in some cases you know even if they're a bit boring you know that's that 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 may actually be a good thing boring is beautiful sometimes yeah, yeah. Well, especially if they're if if you know the valuations are you know are, are attractive as they as they increasingly are actually within in, in that group of companies because they're just you know they haven't sort of benefited from all the excitement uh, that we've that we've seen this year at, at the extremes uh, within within the market. Um, so we're 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 kind of you know very much focused on that that middle ground. Bronner, um, Bronner is very much focused on that middle ground. on the middle yeah. ground. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it's you know it's done well for us um, over, over over the long term, and um, you know pretty confident that it will you know it will continue to serve us well both next year and and you know f- further into the future. Well, I think that's a good point at which we can um, wind up. Uh, thank you very much, as usual, Matthew Tillett, the lead portfolio manager for the Brunner Investment Trust. Uh, that's all for this episode of Connected Investor. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you smash that subscribe button, as teenagers might say, not men of my age. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We value your views and we're keen to know what you think. So do get in touch. You can contact us via the website, www.brunner.co.uk. From Matthew and from me, Joe Lynham. Ta-ta for now.